Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. My name is Matt. And I'm Matt too. We are back with some episodes about stuff that happened last year, right on time. Yeah, we're we're going we're going back to the past, not back to the future. We're not in a DeLorean going to 88 miles an hour with 1.21 gigawatts. No, we're going back to the past. Yeah, the what DeLorean happened. The DeLorean, yeah. thing, Matt, not yet. Not yet. We're, I like we're, the I like the growth mindset. Growth mindset. So that's we're all gonna, it is. That's all. That's all. Uh, Carolyn Dweck had to write in that book was just yet and then done. Mic drop. Walk away. That's all it is. It's like one of those books with all the blank pages in it. And then people right. sell that and they're like, okay, that was worth 20 bucks. It's art. It's art. Exactly. What we're doing today is probably not art. Art Vandalay of Vandalay Industries. <laughs> Excellent. Nice, nice call. Thank you. We are going to talk about, it looks like 12, 11 or 12 signed bills that have to do with education that were signed since we last recorded back in May or June. It was June-ish, yeah. We we ended in mid-June, and then towards the end there, end of the month, uh, Governor Mills slipped a few past the goalie through the five hole, and uh, you know we uh, we have some we have some <laughs> Matt shaking his head at me. Uh, we have we have some bills that were signed that we didn't talk about, so let's talk about them. All right, so the ones that are signed, we'll start with this one. It is LD one fifty one an act to align state law with current practice regarding required school attendance. Hey, I like aligning law to current practice. It's always a good idea. Always Always a good idea. idea. So what does this one do, Matt? This one takes the required attendance age from seven down to six. And just like like the rest of the states and rest of good practice around what we already do and what everyone else does is, well, now we can do it too. I think this is a good idea. I do too. I mean, we talked about this as, as, a, as an upcoming bill. We're like, why wouldn't we do this? What yeah. are the reasons why we wouldn't do this? And we already do this. Like 90 plus percent of all schools, all kids already come at this age. So why not align it to current practice as it says in the title? Right. Was, wasn't it like uh, there were like three or four kids in the state somewhere that didn't show up till they were seven because they didn't have to? Something like that. And, it was, and the rest it was, all did. So it was such a low number that it comes back to that the age old question, you know, do you do you make the law or the rules based on the exception or do you base it on the norm? Exactly. I say I always say you base it on the norm and then account and accommodate for the exception. Yeah, it seems to make sense. You know, it's kind of a whole democratic principle of, you know, the will of the majority while respecting the rights of the minority. That's somewhere in American law, constitutional practice, belief, I think somewhere. I don't know. I could be making that up. I'm going to lean towards one of those sides. <laughs> I'm not making it up. I make up a lot of stuff, but that I'm not. So the fiscal note on this one says that it is an undetermined cost increase uh, because it said it could, uh, it could result in increased cost to local SAUs due to the potential for an increased enrollment can't be determined. It depends on the number of six-year-olds that enroll versus the number that would have enrolled absent this bill. So there's, they're going to account for it in the, the subsidy somehow. But as we said before, it's such a minimal amount. This is basically a zero. Got to love a good fiscal note where they just raise their hands over their shoulders and go, oh, no. The best thing ever. <laughs> Let's go with the next one that was enacted. Oh, I forgot to say the sign part on that one. But this one, this next one is going to be uh, LD 898, 
which is an act to provide for support for new educators. This was signed on July 2nd of 2019. Mm. July. I barely remember. Yeah, it was tough. It seems like months ago. It really does. So what does this one do? Uh, that a school administrative unit may not employ a conditionally certified teacher or educational specialist unless it has a locally designed peer support mentoring system. Um, so basically, it just it, it, it allows for, um, it ensures that a peer support mentoring system is going to be there for any new teacher, but not just for uh, certified teachers, but also for, or conditionally certified teachers, but also for the educational specialist or ed techs. Seems like why wouldn't we have had that anyway that's what i like about some of these laws it's like geez it seems to make sense yeah it does um looking at the fiscal note no state fiscal impact hello nice good for them there there are plenty of other bills with plenty of other fiscal impact oh yes there is let's (laughs) talk about this next one sure uh the next one is uh, let's see, LD 642, it was an act regarding kindergarten readiness for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. This one was signed on June 20th. Yeah, this is just making sure that uh, our Department of Education and our legislature whatnot are providing um, equitable learning uh, for students who are deaf or hard of hearing. You know, um, and they're gonna submit a report to the Joint Standing Committee of the Legislature uh, having jurisdiction over these over the education cultural affairs, and they're going to look at data um, that's in compliance with state performance plans required by the IDEA that are specific to language and you know uh, d- language and literacy development of children who are deaf and hard of hearing. So they're going to be looking at um, how we are our schools, but also our communities are supporting those students um, in language and literacy development. That seems reasonable to me again. Yeah. There was some funds that was attached to this one. Uh, they provide one-time funds for consulting services and other costs to support the work of the task force, which is some of that reporting stuff you were just talking about, about $21,000 this school year. And uh, nothing in the future after that one. It's just a one-time thing to develop those recommendations. Yeah, and a lot of this had to do with students who are from birth to five years of age. So uh, not necessarily all those who are students who are in school already, but who are getting ready to go to school or who are just getting that early, early developmental language and literacy. Right. Right. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, The next one was LD 1370, an act to address dangerous behavior in the classroom. I remember attending this one. Yeah, this one uh, was also changed the title. It was also about like violent behavior at first. Yeah, I think it made it a little less... Uh, serious? I'm not sure. This one, anyway, this was signed on June 21st. Uh, June 21st. So this one talks about uh, what dangerous behavior means. And I think this is where some of it changed. Uh, this one, dangerous behavior is defined as behavior of a student that presents a risk of injury or harm to a student or others. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, a, the, it was worded a little bit differently before from what I remember. Um, so uh, it was. Yeah, this yeah, one shortened was. way up. So yeah, well, it, it, it changed from it used to be violent behavior, meaning, and it said, "quote means intentional physical aggression by a student against a public school employee while on school grounds." So there's a bit of a difference there of what it originally started at to what it ended as. Yep. 
So what this one does now, it basically talks about the reporting of those incidents and uh, trying to investigate what those incidents might be. And they really talk about uh, some of the uh, individualized response plans to avoid future dangerous behavior. Starts off with minimizing suspension and expulsion of the student. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's always a bad idea to suspend kids or expel kids. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's no evidence to support that that actually works for, right. for, for the, either student achievement for learning or for the social emotional learning of those particular students. Right. You're basically just throwing kids away at that point. So yes. um, I'm glad that they're talking about that one. They're, they prioritize counseling and guidance services for students and educators, uh, provide positive behavioral interventions and supports, restorative practices. So it really talks about helping the kid through whatever whatever trauma that they had to, to precipitate that dangerous behavior, uh, trying to find ways to help the kid rather than just say, you out 10 days, we'll see you back here, uh, like right. nothing ever happened, which is just... Right. Uh, it also talks about the, the last part, which is... But Matt, but Matt, but Matt, oh. we've, always done, we've always done it that way. Oh, that's true. Uh, oh, yeah, let's just ignore this one then. Let's just do okay. it. Just get rid of kids. Uh, right, this one... Also, the second part was uh, the crazy part to me, uh, but apparently this was the thing as I talked to people over the summer. Um, if a public school employee is injured uh, because of dangerous behavior and you can't work anymore, it is not taken away from your sick leave. Right. Which apparently it was before, which is, wow. But, Apparently that's the thing because I asked a few people this summer and they said, yeah, well, you take away from, you go sick leave first before you do like whatever, like workers comp or something. So uh, strange to me, but it's all fixed now. And I like that. Uh, fiscal note, state mandate is exempted. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Uh, so it requires SAUs to report the, re the reported incidents of dangerous behavior. Um, the cost may be minimal, it says, but you know they just took it away. Yep. Again, they say uh, we don't know how much it's going to cost, so so it's on deal you. With, deal with it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Take that school units. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much for you guys. Let's go to the next one. LD fourteen twelve, an act to amend the laws governing the collective bargaining rights of employees of school management and leadership centers. This was signed on June twenty first. Yeah, and so. You know how school administrative units and districts and whatnot have collective bargaining units? Those, are, those exist. Well, this is saying, how about we, if we're gonna create these school management and leadership centers for professional learning or for early childhood development or for whatever it is, they should have the rights for collective bargaining units as well. Seems pretty easy. It's just, it's just a matter of saying, if we're gonna do this for one area for teaching and learning and kids, well, maybe we should do it for all of them. Again, consistency. Consistency. I like consistency. Me too. That's why we do these things in order today. Consistency. <laughs> Not sure what that means. No. Well, we're, we, went for, we started at 151. We're now at 1412. So let's go to the next one. LD 454, right in line. Oh, well, you know. Okay. It's an act to encourage the purchase of local produce for public schools. Yeah. Okay. This one Great. went into effect June 28th. What does it do? It um, looks at uh, 
for for districts to to incentivize districts to uh, look at purchasing local produce from local farms and other growers and things. Um, it's uh, taking the state contribution of, of a SAU in the fiscal year from uh, $1,500 per school up to $2,000 uh, in the next couple of years. So it's basically providing financial incentives to schools who contract with and connect with local growers to support local economy. I got no problem with that. Uh, no, it's a great idea. Well, good thing they passed it then. Let's go to the next one right in order. LD goes right, goes right along, along line with that uh, National Board Certified one. Hey, you know, you got districts who need more National Board Certified, especially those in areas of uh, higher socioeconomic status. Let's incentivize. Great. Good, good call, Matt. Thank you. Okay. LD1216, an act to support community schools. We support community schools. Okay. Well, that's really all it says in here, too. Uh, this one uh, was signed June 20th. And this one I remember us talking about that they were such a thing as community schools and there was funding for it. And I did not know it existed when this came up. Uh, so basically, this right now has three community schools established in the 16-17 year. And starting next school year in 20-21, they can designate five community schools and then the next year they biannually designate 10 additional ones in accordance with this chapter. Right, I mean, it started, it started off as a pilot program in uh, the 16, 17 school year. And I think what it was is that some folks just started to see the writing on the wall that this was going, this was happening, then places who were doing it were doing it well. And I just wanted to extend it from being a pilot project to being an actual thing. And I think that was a fantastic idea. Uh, and to show their support, uh, the state has put $500 into it uh, for the next four years. $500. I think I mean, that's, hey, that's, that's, I think one that's one trip total. to Whole Foods. I think that's total. Uh, <laughs> one trip to Whole Foods. Nice job. Slamming Thank Whole Foods. Wow. <laughs> hey, uh, they're not a sponsor. Yet. Yet. Uh, LD1778. Uh, this was part of the American Revolution. This was signed on June 20th. It is an act to amend the laws concerning the Children's Cabinet and its advisory councils. Right. And the duties of the Cabinet are to create, manage, and promote coordinated policies, finances, programs, and service delivery systems to support children, youth, and families consistent with the purposes of this show. So, hey, let's support them. I coordinate think that's a good idea coordinate funding and grants and budgets among the departments of the cabinet related to child, youth, and family services in order to carry out the purpose of to collaborate, to share resources, remove barriers, and support innovative initiatives, prevention, and best practices that address health and behavioral problems in children and youth. Well, that all seems like a good idea. Yeah, and if you want to be on this cabinet, um, generally speaking, you're appointed by the governor. Okay, so you got to know somebody. That's what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Sounds there's, about right. Like, let's see, uh, that one, there's some members of the Senate, House Representatives, the Governor or Designee, someone's appointed by the House, someone else, uh, public fund, uh, experience with public funding, appointed by the Governor. Then there's a representing post-secondary education, appointed by the Governor. Uh, person representing Business Roundtable on Early Childhood, appointed by the Governor. Uh, 
child health or public health appointed by the governor. So there's like the governor's got some appointing to do. I'm glad she signed it to give herself some more work. The next one, we got three left here. LD392, an act to fund Maine's school-based health centers. Ooh, got some clapping here. This one was signed on June 20. Big fan. Uh, what this one does is basically just provide some money. In fact, it provides ongoing funding to the state's school-based health centers, $600,000 for last school year and the school year. Yeah, I mean, this, the school-based health centers are so important right now. I mean, they've, they've been important for a long time, but given the ever-increasing uh, social, emotional, mental health needs of our population of kids, um, they need places to go and they need a lot more support. And there are very few schools and districts out there that actually have um, school-based health centers. Right. And the ones that have them are wildly successful. And, you know, the LePage administration a couple of years ago cut the funding for them. Um, and I'm so glad to see these back in. And hopefully more and more districts will start working toward building them uh, at the high school level, at the middle, at any really level, but they're, they provide an, uh, an amazing, re important resource for our learners. Totally agree. Let's go to our next one. It's LD1220, an act to remove certain restrictions imposed on retired state employees who return to work. Yeah. Okay. Right. So basically what it says now is that, uh, you know, it used to be a thing where you couldn't come back to work. If you're retired, you have to wait like five years to come back to work. Right. Something like that to be like full time and to get all... Well, don't have to do that anymore. Nope. Um, because right now, any retired or reti uh, state employee, teacher, or school administrator may be restored to service as a classroom-based employee or school administrator. Uh, basically, you just have to wait uh, 30 calendar days after termination of employment. That's it. I think this is a good idea. I'm looking at the law right now, and they crossed out a whole bunch of other stuff. Which is good. It just made it simpler to come back. I mean, I, I, I understand what they were trying to do originally, which was to try to um, eliminate things like double dipping and all this other things that can happen when people like, you know, they retire and they start getting the benefits, they come back. However, sometimes these things actually benefit districts because they wind up not having to pay into the insurance and the other things. So that it actually right. winds up, the district doesn't wind up paying less for those retirees coming back to work. And we are in a bit of a, a need for experienced educators these days. So I think removing some restrictions on that is a good idea. I do too. So let's talk about our final one. Uh, it's LD995, an act to establish a student loan bill of rights to license and regulate student loan servicers. This was some light reading. Yeah. Yeah, so this one went in June 20th. Again, seemed like Governor Mills was very busy on June 20th. Matt, so that's, a, this, that's a good idea. Yeah, this is 14 pages of new language. Wow, that seems like a lot. So it's just you and me talking here, right? We can, be, we can pull back the curtain. Just you and me talking? Of course. Yeah, right, so I gotta tell you, I didn't read all 14 pages. Hmm. I'm skimming them right now. Okay. Does that, does that count? I'm scrolling through them quickly. I, I think that any like high school or uh, any teacher would say that skimming whilst in the middle of doing like an assessment like this counts. Let's let's call that good. Hey, so, I went to college. 
So <laughs> I managed to get through just fine. Uh, here, here to the colleges out there. So the initiative for this one, it provided allocation for expenses associated with the licensing, examination, and investigation of student loan servicers, including travel, training, supplies, and general operating expenses. Uh, just a few thousand dollars. Takes effect January 1st, that is upcoming. Uh, 14 pages of stuff that is basically just regulating uh, what you can do. Yep. Which sounds fine to me. So anything to help uh, student loan servicers be honest and truthful instead of predatory and kind of crappy. Uh, I'm fine with that. That looks like all of them, Matt. That seems to be all of what we have identified as, as we went through and started to figure out the ones that we haven't talked about. And if we did talk about them, well, you're welcome for the redundancy. <laughs> that is nothing's nothing sounds like redundancy like Matt and Matt. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, we bleed redundancy. <laughs> it's right in our name. <laughs> so uh, that's all the signed ones. Again, we have some upcoming ones. We're, we're going to talk about the bills that are carried over. We're going to talk about some of the ones that directly impact curriculum instruction. Uh, we're going to talk about not many, uh, not very many at all. Uh, we're also going to talk about PEPG. We may have some, uh, some extra people to talk about that with us. Uh, people Hopefully. who might actually know something. Exactly. So with that, I think we're done for the day. Thank you very much for following along with us and listening as always uh, to our faithful 17 listeners. We really appreciate you. You can follow us on Twitter at Maine Ed Matters or on Facebook at Maine Education Matters. Um, both of those pages still have our spreadsheet that's pinned to uh, both pages and we're going to be updating that and looking at all the bills that have been carried over. And so that's where we're going to be updating things as well. Absolutely. So that is your, hopefully your go-to when you want to find out about what's happening. Yeah. And I got to, I got to tell you, there was just a bill that like the legislature came back for like a day and did a whole bunch of stuff in the end of August and just did, then went back and now the governor's got to sign some things. So we might be, we were, I'm not expecting us to be back for a full legislative session until January, but you never know with Augusta. They might just come back and snap their back. So I think what you need to do as a listener is snap your phone right now and make sure you subscribe to us so you get all the updates and Absolutely. tell your friends. And the best part is leave a review on Apple Podcasts for us. Uh, it will help us gain on the charts of main education podcasts, which, <laughs> which yeah, main education law-based podcasts with references to chips. I would say we should be high up there. We're probably at least top 15. Top 15 sounds good. Yeah. Uh, with that, we will talk to you guys next time. All right. Bye.